You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Welcome to Can You Survive This Podcast, brought to you by Cavalry Audio on the iHeartRadio Podcast Network. Today, I've got a good friend, a former Navy SEAL, a dog expert to celebrities, to the richest people in the world. He provides training. He pretty much does everything that has to do with dogs. He's a New York Times best-selling author, and he is Mike Ritland. Mike, thanks for coming to the show. Shit, that intro makes me want to blow myself. <laughs> thanks for coming, dude. You know, I was yeah. your first guest, so it only makes sense that you are my first guest. So being yeah, my sure. first time, I'm a virgin, and you popping my cherry, just don't hurt yeah. me too much, okay? I mean, there's no cherry I'd rather pop than yours, Clint, so <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. All right, so we've got some producers, and they do some digging, and once again, they mailed me your target package, okay? I'm showing oh, it to sure. you right here. So if there's anything that you want to go ahead and disclose, you probably should do it now because we're going to dig into this <laughs> thing and see what they found. Oh, Christ. All right, and as you noted, I put my readers on because I can't yeah. see Dick anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see here. Mike Ritland, former Navy SEAL, New York Times bestselling author, owner of Mike Ritland Co. TeamDog.Pet, founder of the Warrior Dog Foundation, and host of Mike Drop Podcast. There's no good kisser on there? <laughs> well, I know that you're good at tonguing dumper. Good dunking. Well. He's a expert dumper tonguer. You know what's interesting? Some of the Googleable stuff about you. Do you have any idea what comes up to the top about you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> God, do I want to know? Yeah, let's go through this. It's pretty good. Ritlin <laughs> is credited for helping mainstream the Epstein didn't kill himself internet meme. At the end of an interview with Jesse Waters on Fox News, Ritlin asked if he could give a PSA. And I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. You basically, at the end of answering one of the questions, 
you said, quote, if you see the coverage about combat dogs and you decide you want one of these dogs, buy one fully trained and finished or don't buy one at all. And Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs> so now I know you've kind of told me the backstory of that. So what caused you to kind of throw that out there? And who would have, yes. who would have thought it's the most Googleable thing about you? God. Well, yeah, I mean, of all things to be remembered by it, uh, probably not at the top of my list of uh, preference. But the weird thing about it is a couple things. One is that I was just fucking with him, basically, is that I had done a number of interviews that week because it was on the heels of the ISIS Baghdadi raid where he, they sent a dog in on him and he clacked himself off before the dog got there. And so everybody wanted to know all about dogs. It was kind of like post Bin Laden raid when they found out a dog was on it and everybody lost their shit over it. But it was at the end of an interview where to me, it just felt like Jesse Waters was kind of scoffing at it. Like, ah, oh, it's a fucking dog. Like he just wasn't taking it that serious. At least that's how it felt to me after I'd done like CNN and other big media outlets that were, you know, asking really good questions and were taking it pretty serious. It seemed like it was just kind of a joke to him and it was irritating, but on the way there, sitting in traffic, it was kind of right at the start where Joe Rogan had mentioned it before. And there were a few memes that were, you know, out that were just funny, but it wasn't like a huge thing yet. And so literally totally off the cuff, I had planned on doing the PSA thing because so many people had reached out saying, Oh, Hey, I want a puppy. And the internet sales of fucking Malinois skyrocketed and that's bad for a number of reasons. But so I wanted to say that to use that as an opportunity to tell people like, Hey, it's a serious breed. If you don't have one that's totally finished and trained by a professional and they teach you how to handle the dog, you're, you're asking for it. I've seen it too many times to know better. Mm -hmm. And then just at the end of it, I threw that in there, just kind of fucking with them. This was a pre-recorded segment. It was not live. And that's what most people I think didn't realize is that hats off to Fox news. They kept it in there. We recorded it on a Friday afternoon and they aired it the following Saturday night. So it, it yeah. wasn't like a, Oh shit, hit the mute button. Like they kept it in there. And for whatever reason, that was just the weird right place, the right time, 15 minutes of fame catalyst that like people <laughs> that I hadn't talked to in 25 years were like, dude, I just saw you on some other media outlet that was replaying it. Or a guy that I hadn't talked to in probably 10 years was like, dude, I'm sitting at a truck stop in North Dakota and the table behind me is playing your video over and over laughing their asses off. Like these six grown men truckers like laughing their ass off, you know, watching this video or whatever. So yeah, I mean, totally unintended consequence thing. It was just a spur of the moment. Yeah. Fucking with the guy thinking that it wouldn't even show up and it did. And here we are now that's at the top of the list. Fuck yeah. Me. Yeah. Good job. Forget about all your dog work. Let's just concentrate on yeah, Epstein. Let's here worry for... about a, a viral <laughs> meme. Yeah. It's an actually interesting conspiracy, right? You and I have had some conversation about Epstein, whether he killed himself or not. And mm -hmm. I mean, what are your thoughts these days on it? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's really the same and that obviously I don't have any insight that anybody else does. It's just, to me, it's kind of like the election. Like, no, there's not any proof of any squirrely shit, but there are enough inconsistencies and enough like, dude, really? To where like at some point there's a difference between being just blindfully faithful towards something versus using a little bit of logic and critical thinking and thinking like, dude, this just doesn't add up. To me, that's still where it is. The fact that they haven't really done anything with it, it doesn't seem like much has come out of an investigation that tells me that, again, that there's probably something else at play. I don't know what that is, but there's been enough instances of people doing shady shit or illegal shit or whatever in the government where it gets covered up or they investigate it and find they did nothing wrong, which to me, I mean, that's like 
the fox investigating himself in the hen house, you know, like, of course, he's going to find himself not guilty. (laughs) So to me, it just further degrades our nation's level of confidence in our politicians, you know, which is sad, but. Yeah. Yeah. All I was curious about is he hung himself, right? So, I mean, supposedly was his penis in his hand or not when it happened? I mean, what are your thoughts? Fuck, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. I also, one of my pet peeves is when fucking grown ass men call it a penis and not a dick or a cock. (laughs) We're going to get to that in a second. Hold on. I I had actually a little game. We'll go ahead and play it now. It's called the synonym game. And so I'm going to give you a word and you have five seconds to say as many synonyms for that word. And so I didn't want to ruin it. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Penis. Cock. Schlong. Dick. Wanker. That's all I got. Mike. You forgot Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Talking to the mic. I got a backup <laughs> mic over here. So, yeah. Michael B. Ritlin, born in Waterloo, Iowa, Navy SEAL, public speaker, dog trainer. Now, I got to ask, you've been buying some pretty exotic supercars lately. How many dog trainers do you know drive a Ferrari? Well, fuck. I'm sure Susan Milan probably has one <laughs> or several. He's got way more fucking money than I do. Well, so. yeah, I mean, you're the only dog trainer I know that drives a Ferrari. And it's not just a Ferrari. What kind is that you bought just recently? That's a 488 Pista. That's the track version of the 488 GTB. It's pretty awesome. And how fast have you gotten in that thing? That's classified. But <laughs> let's just say uh, I haven't topped it out. Hmm. But I would say not far off of that. What is top speed on that? Anywhere from 212 to 218, depending on conditions. I've seen some Autobahn videos of guys pushing 218 on it. I've seen a runway clip of a guy hitting 212. But I mean, it's it's fast. Yeah, it looks fast. And I hear it pull up every now and then out there. And I'm like, yep, that's Mike. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I love that's it, man. Like a didgeridoo outside your fucking door. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It has that low, intimidating roar, you know? It's cool. And now before that, you had an Audi R8, right? You put a turbo on it, a supercharger on it. I bought it stock. I put a supercharger on it first. And then that was a good bump, but it got... I got used to it fairly quick. So then I sent it to a twin turbo company and they made it a thousand plus wheel horsepower fucking monster. And But one of the things I've learned with modding cars is I did the same thing to a 911 that I had during that time also is that it just invites problems basically is that it's fun. But the more heavily you modify it, it's kind of like with guns, really the same yeah. thing. Like the more shit you do to it, the more likely things are going to break and not work. And And there's kind of a sweet spot of just getting a little more punch out of the car and juicing it up a little bit versus doing a full drag fucking rebuild where you're getting billeted engine parts and sleeving cylinders and shit like that, where now you're just, you're basically completely rebuilding the entire fucking thing. And for me, it kind of ruined it. Frankly, it made it really one dimensional out on the, in the interstate, you know, if you're doing 40 or 50 miles an hour and you gun it, that aspect of it was amazing. Like it was just absurdly fast that way, but driving it around town was really jerky and fucking uncomfortable and hard to drive and it just wasn't fun to me the what i've kind of come full circle on and learned i guess with the ferrari is it's stock i haven't done anything to it i won't do anything to it because it doesn't need it driving experience wise it is the funnest car i've ever driven by quite a bit it's just it's kind of that perfect balance of really good handling phenomenal steering really responsive engine fast 
and just you feel it like a connection to the road as ridiculous as that probably sounds to a lot of people. Cause I used to be that guy. Like I wasn't the guy that grew up with the fucking Magnum PI Ferrari on the wall and the fucking Miami vice Lambo on posters and shit. I didn't care about bike. I mean, you know, this. like, I mean, I had a fucking Jetta TDI was my first car and a diesel pickup truck was my second. And those first two vehicles I had up until just a few years ago, you know, it's really only been in the last few years where I've really gotten into that after I drove a few of them. You were actually one of the reasons I drove a Ford GT of a client of mine, protection dog client. And then when you took me out in your fucking F type fucking flying out into the, you may not even know this. I've talked about you in a couple of car podcasts actually, but is it that one fucking time where we went to lunch and you like slid out fucking rear wheel drive, 600 fucking horse, badass F type. Like I was like, dude, this is fucking awesome. And I was hooked. And that's when I bought that Mercedes AMG. And then from there, it's just, I've gone full fucking moron on it but yeah you're like straight up addicted snorting cocaine now and speed it's good so now because we get into little safety security crisis management with this podcast i gotta ask all the times when you're going fast you're ripping through dallas what are your kind of your bailout drills you run through your mind right especially at high speeds you have milliseconds to react what are the kinds of things that you've come up with like we all know that all terrain is drivable, right? The emergency lanes all of a sudden become another lane if necessary. What are some of the things that you've kind of put into your uh, situational awareness at high speeds and what do you, what if, and how do you overcome those? So if I had to pinpoint one main principle that I absolutely adhere to pretty much all the time is just like with most things, there's a time and a place for it. I don't drive like a fucking idiot everywhere or even very often frankly is that most of the time i'm driving pretty subdued and just enjoying the car and i may punch it a little bit here or there the only times i get fucking nutty is when from my perspective it makes sense to so there are certain areas of town certain roadways that are conducive for driving that way but there's times of days where it's only that way also you know, some of these areas, some of the expressways and tollways and things like that, I won't mention them by name, but some of those areas, which I know you're familiar with, there are good times to drive that way and not good times. And so to me, I always look at it as that if I was the guy in the truck and had my mom after a surgery and I was trying to take her home and some dickhead drove past me like that and scared the shit out of her, made her jump and rip sutures or something stupid like that, I'd be pissed. I try to be mindful of that all the time and not fly past people and weave in and out of traffic, you know? So really it's only when, you know, it's late at night or early in the morning or it's a a Sunday afternoon or, you know, sometime where there's not a lot of people and you can drive that way relatively safely. That's really the only time I do it. More with former Navy SEAL Mike Ritland after the break. And if you're enjoying two team guys reminiscing about the good old days, I encourage you to go check out our archives, our episode with Rob O'Neill, the seal credited with killing Osama bin Laden. Now, having said that, when I do do it, I also try to be mindful of that as having at least a lane of separation between any cars that I'm passing. So if there's not multiple open lanes where I'm not driving past them to where if they didn't use their blinker and just moved over quick, Mm -hmm. I either have a lane to move over or there's a lane of separation to accommodate that. Because at those speeds, like even in cars with carbon ceramic brakes that are 18, 20 inches, they're fucking monstrous brakes and they work phenomenally well, you still aren't going to have enough space to stop or slow down enough for it to matter. So to me, like you have to create and be mindful of a buffer space, whether it's a shoulder, a lane, you know, whatever. So that's kind of my main 
principle is just don't put yourself in a position where you don't have an out. And so that's usually how I go about it. Those are all great points, obviously driven by experience. And as you know, I'm one of the idiots that likes to thread the needle and drive like an asshole in between cars. And I think that one of the most memorable moments with you, we had a government issued van, right? And we are (laughs) in Hawaii and I was kind of the designated driver for all the assholes. So it was like a 16-passenger government-issued white van. Yeah. And we get on Highway 1 in Hawaii. And I drive that thing like it's a Formula 1 car. And by <laughs> the time we get done, which was very normal for me. It's just how I drove. We get out of the van. I forgot where we were or what we were doing. You probably remember because your memory is like fucking thousand times better than mine. But I just remember you coming up to me and showing me your hand and it had beads of sweat in it. And you're like, this is what your driving does to me. (laughs) (laughs) In a van. In a van. Yeah. yeah, Which was just stupid, but Hey, we're young and dumb. So why not? All right. So continuing to move into kind of survival and crisis, there's a story I have had to tell several times because it's super entertaining, but I've actually never heard your version. So let's talk about how I saved your life in Singapore. And I'd want to hear your version this time around instead of me always telling the story because it is pretty damn funny. All right. So it started off, you and I had a couple of drinks. It was just us. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know if it was the food in Singapore or what, but from the time we got there, within a few days of being there, I hadn't shit, you know, and I'm not one of those, like I shit once a week, need a fucking untangled uh, hanger to mash the fucking thing down. I I don't shit like that. I'm pretty normal that way. Yeah, (laughs) I shit a couple times a day, most days, you know, so, so it it was for sure abnormal. And after a few days, I was like, God damn, what the fuck, you know, and I tried to shit and couldn't, but it felt like I had to, you know, so I was bloated and really uncomfortable. It got to the point where like, I couldn't even PT. I don't know if you remember that it was like a run, swim, run that we did with the Singaporean seals and going in the CTT and in the water and and run. Like I didn't do that because I was so fucking constipated and and fucked up from it. That afternoon after we finished that is when I came to you. I was like, dude, I missed out on this. I haven't shit in like five fucking days or a week. I mean, it had been a while and I'm really uncomfortable. I feel like I'm about to explode. I've tried and it's like the turtle head is there and it just won't fucking go any further, you know? And like I've pushed to the point where like I'm giving myself hemorrhoids trying to shit and I can't. And so that's when you're like, yeah, come down to the room and I'll take a look and and do what I can or whatever. And so I should have known that when you said, come down in a few minutes, that that was the fucking indicator that you were going (laughs) to circle the wagons and make sure everybody was there to fucking, to get in on it. But so, yeah, at that point, honestly, like I didn't even give a fuck. I mean, you could have put me in stirrups on pay-per-view TV and I would have done it. I was that uncomfortable, but so you've got me fucking bent over. I drop trow and you slap on the latex gloves and it reminded me of the prostate exams. Like when you were fiddling around with my ass, I had that sensation. Like I could feel the tip of my dick fucking tingling. (laughs) This was like, you're digging in my ass, trying to break the shit loose or whatever. And for several minutes, tried to do what you could. And you're like, dude, you're fucked up. You got to go to this. We ended up going to the embassy medical clinic in Singapore. And now that I think about it, like, I don't know how the fuck you didn't think of this, frankly, but I go in there and 30 seconds later, they hand me a box of fleet enema and they're like, go in that bathroom and shove this up your ass and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I did. And Jesus Christ, dude, like I haven't used one since, but that's got to be the go-to. Like I could not believe, Hey, it was uncomfortable and fucking weird. It was like douching your asshole. But (laughs) once I did that within 30 seconds, 
it wouldn't have mattered what I was doing or where I was yeah. at. There was nothing stopping that. I don't know what the fuck they put in that, but dude, I mean, it was just like I gave birth to a nine pound shit baby. <laughs> it was impressive. I looked down, I was like, how did I not just rip my oh, ass in half? You right. know, like, but it just evacuated my entire fucking bowels. It was amazing. That's awesome. One of the most relieving feelings I ever had and then went right back to being normal. So I don't know what it was, but Jesus, how many times have we heard that story? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I get comments like <laughs> on my podcast, whatever. It was nothing to do with you or Singapore or anything. You're like, why don't you have Clint stick his fingers in your ass again? <laughs> you know, it's just like, I mean, it's almost as bad as the Epstein thing. It's like, I'm more yeah. known for you looking yeah. like an Amish horse mechanic up my ass. Well, you know, and it's interesting. A couple of things, you know, just for new listeners, especially since first podcast here. One, I was the medic. I just wasn't some guy Mike came to that had small <laughs> fingers. So that's the medic piece. Number two, what I remember is because we were waiting in the lobby so long to get our rooms, you ate like an entire platter of cheese and yeah. it just clogged you up. And then, yeah, I didn't have the enema stuff. I knew that you needed, you know, a little more heavy hitting medicine to get it all out of you because yeah, I had two, three fingers up your ass trying to scissor cut that shit in half and pull yeah. it out. But yeah, it just wasn't common. But I can say that palpating your poop, it felt like a little bigger than a softball in there. And it was hard as a rock. I mean, felt like yeah. gravel all cemented together. It was jagged. <laughs> it was hard. I'm pretty sure it cut my gloves right open. So, <laughs> and when he talks about circling the wagons, yeah, I made a couple of phone calls, had the entire platoon in my hotel room waiting. So when he came to the door, he had an entire audience to uh, watch me. It was a family affair. It was, yes, exactly. We're a family. So I figured get him involved, a little moral support. Yeah. He was in so much pain though. I mean, it, it really was so uncomfortable. He didn't even bat an eye. He just walked in. He goes, yeah, I didn't give a fuck. yeah you're pretty yeah, much yeah. like, of course you've got everybody here. And then you pulled your pants down, <laughs> bent over and spread your butt yeah. cheeks apart. I got nothing. <laughs> that was good times, man. All right. So let's take a moment and let's talk about what you've been up to. I know you've been working on a book. What's it going to be about? And do you have a release date yet? So the first three books were all dog heavy, obviously. This one yeah. is kind of a collection of all of the different hotbed political issues that our country faces and seems to be divided on, but through the eyes of all the different subject matter experts I've had on the Mic Drop podcast and basically taking their perspective of saying, you know, whether it's border, sex trafficking, drugs, shootings, politics, foreign affairs, et cetera, and taking it through the lens of somebody that has lived that for decades and has not just a unique perspective, but a valuable, unique perspective and, and taking all of that information and putting it into one book. So like, here is what the problem is. Here is how severe it is. Here's where it ranks. Here's what we can do about it as a country. And then here's what you can do about it kind of as an individual. And it just, the goal of it is from my perspective. And I think a lot of people is when they see all the things that are going on nowadays, they feel overwhelmed. And they feel like, what the fuck am I going to do about it? Like, I'm one vote, if that. You know, at this point, most people don't even think their vote counts. So they're like, well, what the fuck am I going to do? And the gist of it is starting by leading by example is that be what you want to see. Like, don't hold other people to a standard that you're not willing to hold your own fucking person to. And then also just kind of taking it a step further is that once you've done that, here's how you can help on an individual basis, how to do all these things. But it's in my 
kind of dry, sarcastic, Yeah, no punches pulled, no holds barred. Like to give you an idea, the title of the book is going to be called Unfuck America. And <laughs> the release date is going to be probably, I would say mid to late summer, uh, maybe even early fall, depending on everything that we have left to do. But my goal is to get it out before Halloween. So yeah, that'll do well. I did that when everything was shut down last year, about this time I spent that first four months of that where it was really heavy and nothing was open. Uh, I worked out a lot, trained the dogs that I had in and could get in and worked on that book because that's what I had access to. So, yeah, I think it sounds like a great book, obviously needed these days to kind of get people thinking a little bit more about things. It sounds very holistic, right? So I think that's the key is don't get so tunnel vision on just all these specific issues and step back from it and kind of look at everything and make an educated decision on stuff. That and also so much of what people are pissed about is what the media tells you to be pissed about. And so what I wanted to look at was no bullshit. Like I don't care what the most popular things are in terms of who talks about them and who's the most mad about them or who's the most woke about them. It's from a data standpoint, here are the things that plague our country, whether it's death wise, financially or societally or culturally, is that here are the things that no shit from an empirical data standpoint, here's what impacts us the most, not what we argue about the most and what you know a lot of media outlets have us distracted by. Here's legitimately what our biggest problems are. Here's why they are the problems in the magnitude that they are. And then here's what you can actually do about it. Yeah, it's going to crush it. I love it. I think you're right. You know, with my experience with some of the books I've got going on, October 15th is a great release date because it gets it into that holiday season and gets people buying it immediately as a gift item. You'll crush it. By the time Black Friday rolls around, you'll already be a bestseller, you know? So, uh, so. yeah, dude, I'm looking forward to that one. And maybe we'll get you back on here so we can talk about it and talk about other things like your penis. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. More with former Navy SEAL and Enema enthusiast Mike Ritland after the break. (laughs) All right, so... One thing, you have to survive the interview, which you did just fine, obviously, because we know each other and some of this stuff doesn't even make you budge or cringe. So we've gotten through your butthole being dilated by fingers and we've had some good race car stories. But so now we have this hypothetical emergency crisis survival scenario. Tuck and roll. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Put it between your legs. And we... Going to put you through a little scenario here. It's important that you pay attention to all the little details that are given. There is a right answer. It's usually mine, but we can debate (laughs) some of these answers. The goal at the end of the day really is for people to learn from both your answers, my comments, and then hopefully the discussions people have from here on out. It's really about just driving discussion, whether you're at home with your family or you're sitting in an office with others. It's to provoke thought and get safety and security at the forefront of people's minds, especially these days. You know, I keep telling everyone that this is the year of the active shooter, so we have to be even more. Is that on the Chinese calendar? Is that what that is? <laughs> There's the dog, the rat, the horse, the monkey, the active shooter. Yeah, 2021 <laughs> is year of the active shooter, and it's got a cool little symbol, I'm sure, to go with it. But we definitely have to be on the outlook. So, all right. Are you ready? 
All right, this is your scenario. You have just delivered a trained dog to a high-end client in Washington, D.C. You take an Uber back out to the suburbs where you're staying in a hotel. Your trip home is not until the following evening, okay? You wake up the morning after delivering the dog and decide to go take a run, a little jog. Do you even run anymore? No, I didn't think so. I wouldn't have taken an Uber either, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) You jog about a mile and a half from your hotel, all right? And while you're jogging, you notice a small airstrip. (laughs) Couldn't have cued that better. You notice a small airstrip. There's no no way. That was the fucking airstrip there? Yeah. Yeah. I I thought... uh, producers were fucking with you <laughs> no Holy that's shit. a Hello, that was yeah, one of those damn world war ii planes flying by back to the scenario back on track all right you jog by a nice lovely field and you think to yourself that's nice there's a weird looking abandoned building on the other side of the field okay you got all that all right yep so it's free candy spray painted on it <laughs> exactly <laughs> suddenly you see one of those emergency alerts, kind of like an Amber Alert, real annoying, right? Rant, rant, rant on your phone, and it says "dangerous mob attacking DC in the surrounding areas." Okay, that's the information you got. And you think to yourself, "What the hell?" You can hear a commotion and even gunfire behind you, where you ran from. And it all sounds like it's kind of approaching your position. All right. So, first question: Do you a turn and run back to your hotel or B hustle across the field towards that building. Well, I mean, for sure, I'm not running back. I don't know that I would go towards the building either. I'd probably keep running and either try to get an Uber since that's how I got there or try to find the path of least resistance moving forward. But in this case, if it's an A or B, I'm going to go towards the building. Okay. Good choice. Look at you coming out. So that's 10 points. There's 10 questions. Your goal is to make a hundred. Okay. So I'm failing right now. No, actually, I have 10%. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. You're doing good. <laughs> so, yes, you could encounter more danger, right, if you head back towards the hotel. And you're unarmed. And in this kind of situation, knowing there's a mob and gunfire, you may just want to steer clear of all of it. So you decide to take cover in the building so that you have that cover to assess the rest of the area. Okay. As you approach the building you find the door is locked. Do you A, try to kick the front door in and go inside, or B, look for another way that won't exert energy or cause commotion? B. B. Why is that? You got any reasons, or you just kind of... From my experience, if a door is locked, it's locked for a fucking reason. (laughs) If somebody is behind that door, i.e. if it was me, I'm going to be met with some implications that probably aren't that pleasant. So uh, I'm going to always go for the path of least resistance. I like it. Okay, so now the sound of an angry crowd and gunshots are getting even closer. And as you discreetly scan for other ways in, you see an open window. Path of least resistance. Good job. Now you're inside and you encounter a guy who appears to be on drugs. He rushes you. What do you do? A... Face him head on, swivel your body, step into the punch or elbow to his chin and temple, or B, turn and run back out. For me, A. Hey, right. That's a solid answer. Running back out towards potentially 100 people doesn't make sense when you only have one to deal with in the safety of this shelter. So good answer there. 
All right, so striking for a knockout obviously is your best bet, and creating a knockout is all about coup counter coup. Now, this is used in paramedicine, trauma medicine, and that is really the goal is to make the brain hit the walls of the skull twice, and that's what induces a knockout. It hits once when you hit them, and then through deceleration, as the head stops moving, the brain keeps moving, and it strikes another wall of the skull, and the person goes unconscious, which is the ideal situation And plus, it kind of means you're a badass if you knock somebody out. So you knocked them out. So next, do you, A, hunker down in the building and wait for the mob to pass? Or B, pat the knocked out junkie, pat him down. He may have something on his person that you can use to get yourself out of this situation. So for sure, B, but I would take it a step further. I would also restrain that motherfucker so that when he comes to, that I don't have to deal with him again. Good point. Yes, I love it. So... Yes, after you restrain him with his shoelaces. <laughs> with all the condoms I have in my pocket. Yes, all the condoms, time and knots, <laughs> create a rope. Okay, as you pat him down, you find a car key in his pocket. You're going to go ahead and hang on to that. You can see a crappy old Honda out back that the key belongs to, okay? So noted. Suddenly, a Molotov cocktail comes flying in through your open window. All right. And the mob wants to burn the building down. Do you A, run out of the building and sprint straight for the Honda? Or B, do you zigzag your run, keeping your head low as you try to escape? B. Yes, this is correct. And zigzag. So it's important to note when you zigzag or run sporadically, it forces shooters and bad guys to change their elevation and windage, especially with rifles, pistols, whatever, anything with sights or optics which makes you a harder target to hit, and that's the goal. Be a hard target. So with all the active shooting, mass shootings going on, and you've got to run a long stretch of terrain, and you don't have any cover to run to, and you find yourself in the open, run sporadically, run like an idiot, moving all over the place, it makes it a lot more difficult for the uh, shooter to get accurate bullets in your back. All right, so you get to the Honda. Luckily, the key works, all right? You drive it out onto the road to get out of Dodge when the mob forms a human roadblock ahead. You know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Do you, A, floor it and hope that they get out of the way, and if they don't, oh well, or B, slow to a stop at least 20 feet back from the mob? I'm gunning it like I'm in the fucking Ferrari. No two ways about it. I'm, I'm human bowling at that point. Human bowling. I like it. Now... So here's the deal. If it's a Ferrari, you probably get away with it because that's like driving a door wedge, right? It's just going to ramp everybody up over the hood, and you're probably going to make it through the crowd. But with a Honda, you might end up doing a whole high axle issue, right? Just like, you know, zombie movies. You run over enough zombies, your wheels are up off the ground, spinning in place, and you're getting nowhere fast. So even though you got that wrong, i got to take that out. Minus 10. You go ahead and decide to stop ahead of the human roadblock, all right? So, A, you floor it up onto a curb and go around, or B, you put the car in reverse and execute a reverse 180 and just go the other way. B, for sure. If it's a shoddy enough vehicle to get high-centered on a human being, a curb's going to really fuck it up, so... Yeah, I, uh, I agree. I mean, you're taking chances. If it's a beat-up Honda... You really don't know what the tire status is, all that kind of crap. And so to put any more obstacles in front of those tires is probably not a good idea. 
And if any of you out there want to practice 180s, I mean, there's a couple of tricks to this. A reverse 180 is literally you put it in reverse. And you're going to look back into the direction in which you want to go. And you're going to give it gas. And then you're going to run that steering wheel all the way around so that you can flip that hood 180 degrees with your ass towards the angry mom. And in the middle of all that, whether it's a stick or whether it's an automatic, you got to shift from reverse into neutral so that it glides and then into drive once your nose is forward. So reverse 180s, they take some practice, but they're actually pretty easy and effective. And you can usually do it. If you do it properly and get good, you can do it in one lane of space, believe it or not. And so the other takeaway with that, if you're going to go practice this in a parking lot near you, Make sure all your tires are aired up uh, approximately 5 PSI over max. It's important that those tires are hard as a rock and 100% fixated to that wheel rim. If you roll the tire over the rim, well, now you got flat tires and you are shit out of luck. I'd still run all of them over. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's just see what happens. Okay. Reverse 180s. They're fun. They're cool. Be safe out there. All right. As the car begins to reach the 180 rotation, now you're heading back towards the hotel. When you get back to the hotel, you find that it also is burned to the ground. All right. Do you A, go into the hotel and try to get your belongings and some supplies from your room? (laughs) Good luck. Or B, keep driving right on past. You got to keep going. And you got to keep going. That's right. Okay. You're doing good. We're almost there. As you pass the hotel, you see another mob up ahead. Do you A, pull off to the road and hide, hoping they passed, or B, slow to about 30 miles an hour and perform a J-turn? I'm going to go with the J-turn. Yes. Yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, similarly, like if I don't trust the vehicle enough to run them over, if that's not the option, sitting and waiting, like that takes the advantage of having a vehicle away. So I just go a different direction. Yeah, you nailed it. A lot of people tend to forget that, yes, having a three to 6,000 pound vehicle as a weapon is great until you break something on it. And now your survivability is decreased because that vehicle you're relying on to get yourself out of the situation doesn't actually work for you now you're on foot so anytime you've got a vehicle your primary usage is to get away and if uh, worst case scenario presents itself sure use it as a battling ram of some sort but just keep in mind if you break that car you're done and you're down for the count so yes you execute a perfect j-turn j-turns are relatively easy but on modern day cars, they have become a little more difficult because... No e-brake. Right. You rely on an e-brake. Ideally, a hand-held e-brake, right? A handbrake, which engages the back tires, locks them up. And once you get the back end of the vehicle floating, now you can aggressively turn that steering wheel, which whips the ass around 180, and then just drive out the other direction. But these days, finding a car that you can lock up those rear tires is getting harder and harder another little trick you can do though if you have a truck that has the foot e-brake you know down left of your brake pedal and then it has the release up high a hand release just under the steering wheel we used to take and actually just tie 550 cord onto that with a loop so that now we could have it up high we didn't have to go down and reach for anything we could literally have the 550 cord tied to the release 
right there at our wrist so that we can still drive and stuff and then just quickly pull back to release the brake when you need to when it's time to start driving after you've made your 180 turn. Okay, so coming towards the end here. As the car rotates 180 degrees, obviously you get yourself out of there and the mob is now in your rear view mirror. Now you're passing that little airstrip that we noticed before. So do you A, pull over, pick the lock on that small airplane, and get out of the burning town by stealing the plane and flying out, or B, just get on the highway and drive to a town that's not under siege? A B for sure, because I don't know how to fucking fly, Clint. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Remember, it's the producers trying to torture you right now, so... Yeah, stealing a plane. Most people don't know. Obviously, before you can steal a plane, you have to know how to fly it. And in 100 Deli Skills, number one, we talk about stealing an airplane because it really is easy, right? Especially your, like, 70s Cessnas or Pipers. In about two or three steps, you can start it up and fly away. So for those of you that are pilots, yeah, you could just steal a plane and get yourself out of trouble. Let's see. Let's add it up here. Yeah, you did pretty good. You got a 90. You got 90 out of 100. Good job. You survived the podcast, Mike Ritland. Fucking A. I will say that in the ramming people scenario, the one thing that, and I'm not making excuses, right? <laughs> but to me, like it's how I visualize it versus how who's setting the scenario up, probably visualize it maybe is a little different. Yeah. To me, like the one caveat I would say is that if you're in a position where that's your only way out is to drive through, then yeah, I'm going to hammer it. If there's a group of people blocking one street and this one's open, this one's open and that one's open. Yeah. I'm just going to go down a different fucking street. But so, you know, maybe provide a little more goddamn information next time. <laughs> yes, sir. We will do so. I think you bring up a great point. The anatomy of the crowd is everything. If they are interlocked, let's say elbow to elbow, right. And it's a human chain across, meaning there's not 20 levels or 20 sets of bodies yeah. behind that line then breaking that link is going to be easy by driving through it, right? Yeah. Now, yeah, if, if there's a, a World Series, we just won the Super Bowl and this entire fucking street is filled with people, no, I'm not going to try to drive right. through that in any fucking car. But Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. important to note, if you got you know a huge body of people, then driving through them probably isn't a good idea. But if you have a single layer that's all interlocked, then it's going to be easy. And more than likely, they are going to jump out of the way. I think we've all seen the yeah, videos. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a fucking car that's gunning it. And I mean, it's like cars doing 15 miles an hour. Yeah, they're probably not going to move. If you hear a fucking exhaust fucking burbling towards you, like <laughs> yeah. no dipshit's going to be like, no, they'll slow down. Yeah. You know, I mean, dude's doing 60 fucking miles an hour. Like, yeah, they're going to get out of the way. Or, I mean, they're going to get out of the way one way or another, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Right. Yeah. And I think to uh, people, I think, especially for you, if it's a Ferrari, I mean, even if I'm uh, in that human chain and I'm trying to prevent you from moving and that Ferrari starts coming at me, I'm going to be like, man, I don't want to mess that thing up. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to get agree. out of your way. <laughs> oh, awesome, man. So let's take a moment. Let's let you plug a bunch of stuff you got going on. So where can people find out about Mike Ritland and what are the things you want everybody to know about you got going on? So instead of spending 10 minutes talking about every individual thing, I'll just say going to MikeRitland.com is where everything is available, whether it's the dog food, treats, my online dog training, crates, collars, leashes, clickers, pouches, fucking personal protection dogs, the mic drop stuff, all the books. 
everything that I have going on is on mikerillin.com. So whether it's merchandise or any of the other aforementioned things, that's the best place to go. Social media, Instagram is just at mritland. Facebook is just mikerillin. Twitter is at mritland, which I almost never fucking go on. Looking at setting up a Patreon fucking page here for mic drop stuff here probably in the next couple of weeks, but I don't have that set up yet. So that's the gist of it. For the Warrior Dog Foundation, that's also linked on the site, but warriordogfoundation.org is where you can help either spread the word or at least get some more information or donate to us being able to provide homes for retired special operations dogs, military working dogs, police dogs, customs, border patrol, you name it, pretty much any entity state, local, or federal that has a dog that they're going to euthanize because it's become such a liability for them. We take them in instead of them having to be euthanized. We have 29 dogs as of yesterday that are all dogs that have a bite history that have bitten several people, numerous people that they weren't supposed to and are a handful. And again, we're going to be euthanized if we didn't take them. So that's my philanthropist passionate thing that I have going on. And we're definitely proud to be a part of that. Yeah, no, you've been doing great things for dogs. Without a doubt, the number one guy in this country as it relates to protection dogs, training, and equipment. I can't think of anyone else that even comes close to you. And the Warrior Dog Foundation has been supported by, man, so many great people. I see your posts. I mean, what a great deal. You've been doing a great job. And then personally, man, you've been kind of a mentor and an idol for me as I retired out of the Navy. You were already out here, you know, pounding concrete, knocking on doors and making a whole new life of yourself outside the Navy. And it's been nothing but awesome to watch and see you grow and your success. So I'll stop sucking your dick. And uh, I, I, I'm about to finish. If you could just keep going for another <laughs> few seconds. No, I, I, I appreciate it very much, man. And likewise, I mean, to me, to see you come out fucking full swing and crush it right out of the gate, has been awesome. So feelings for sure mutual. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. It's been a pleasure being the first guest on Can You Survive This Podcast? I wouldn't have it any other way. It's been great catching up with you. Everything you got going on is good to go. And for all of you listening, remember, outwit, outmove, outplan, and most importantly, outlive. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.